0: Hello, and welcome to Talent Operations Anonymous, a safe space for process people, data nerds, system savants, and general gluttons for punishment. My name's Kyle Lagunas, Director of Strategy at Beamery, and I'm your host. I hope you like the sound of my voice because I'm not going anywhere. I'm super excited about today's episode, not only because we're talking about scaling a modern talent function from scratch, but also because we get to hear from two TA pros who are as nerdy for this stuff as I am. Joining me on this adventure are the brains and brawn behind Better.com's talent strategy, Daniel Morales, and Arthur Maciejewski. Arthur is the VP of talent for better.com. He's building a modern talent strategy rooted in foundational elements of business impact, recruiter enablement, and candidate and customer experience. He's made a career of top-line talent growth, having implemented hyper-growth recruiting strategies at Wayfair and data-focused excellence at Bridgewater Associates. Daniel is the recruiting operations manager at better.com, where his background in customer experience, his eye for detail, and his commitment to follow through play an important role in taking better's goals and turning them into operational realities. His career has spanned systems administration and recruiting program operations in hospitality and business consulting services. In many ways, he represents the next generation of talent operations professionals, and I'm thrilled to have him joining in the conversation today. And that's because Daniel has his work cut out for him. If you didn't already know, better.com is a rapidly scaling direct digital lender using technology to change the way people finance their homes for the better. Working together, Arthur and Daniel have taken on the monstrous responsibility of building a fully optimized and scalable recruiting operation from scratch during a period of hypergrowth, no less. Whether you're a seasoned talent operations pro, a talent leader looking to shake things up, or a new to your recruiting career and wondering how you can make your mark, we can all learn something from Daniel and Arthur's ability to balance vision and execution while innovating on the fly. In this conversation, we talk about magic spreadsheets. We talk about inviting hiring managers to be a part of the solution, quantifying the business impact of every hire and building the plane while they fly it to new heights. You'll wanna turn your volume up and lean in for this one because we're talking a mile a minute. Check it out. Welcome to uh, this episode of Talent Operations Anonymous. I am super stoked to have these two brilliant gentlemen on today um, and talking to us about talent acquisition, building from scratch and partnering with operations from the start to do this better. I have my friend Daniel Morales, and Arthur, help me pronounce your last name. <laughs> <laughs> thanks. I'll put it in the chat. <laughs> but yeah, let's start with introductions. Arthur, you and I have known each other for a little bit. Maybe just talk to us about where you're at now and what you're doing.
1: For sure. Thanks, Kyle. So grateful to be here. Currently with Better.com, we're helping redefine home ownership. We're a fully digital end-to-end solution, helping Americans find homes that they love. In the past year, we've gone from about 500 to just north of 2200 this week, so seeing a lot of exciting hyper growth. Fundamentally, we're trying to bring customers to better homes faster, cheaper, more efficiently. And at the end of the day, we're doing that through the service of all of the employees we're bringing on board. So really grateful to be responsible for talent here and helping us achieve that hyper growth, but also create an environment where people can do their best work meaningfully
0: in the service of our customers. Excellent. Thanks. Daniel?
2: Well, I'm Daniel Morales, and I lead up recruiting operations at Better.com. So I'd say that's like a mix of everything from what technology are we using to actually hire all these folks, as well as like, what is the process and what is the experience that we're providing to our candidates?
0: Okay. And how long have you been in talent operations?
2: Yeah, so I think I've been in some flavor of talent operations probably for about 10 years, the majority
0: of my career. Okay. In dedicated roles or like the work is just in the ops vein?
2: So I think it's been much more roles associated with talent operations.
0: This is my first role actually leading up
2: a talent operations team Okay, and super exciting kind of place to be doing
0: it. You picked a hell of a place to do it and a hell of a person to do it with. I knew Arthur in his previous role at Wayfair and was really instrumental in driving a lot of the transformation that they took on. It's really cool to see you guys partnering together to build from the ground floor. And so that takes me into my first question for you. I mean, holy hell, guys, creating recruiting operation for a rapid growth company that is disrupting an established industry. I mean, it's just like layering complexity in terms of complexity where do you begin? Where did you guys start?
2: Yeah, so I always like to tell the story that I think it was maybe day two or three of my onboarding and Arthur kind of came up to me and was like, hey, we got to figure out how to hire 400 plus people by by the end of the year. And this was in August. So yeah, I think that's kind of where things kicked off.
0: Welcome to the team. We need to hire 400 people in the next three and a half months. Let's do this.
2: Exactly. And so, yeah, I was down for the challenge. And yeah, it's been a
0: roller coaster since then. So, Arthur, when you came in, how many people were on the talent acquisition team? We had about five or six folks. You know, the challenge, I think, for any team is always in
1: terms of where do you begin figuring out where you're going? Yeah. Because everything is kind of relative to your goals. And so, you know, I came in at an auspicious time. We'd hit product market fit a couple of months. Before we were launching a couple of big partnerships, the macro environment was in our favor. Ultimately, the you know biggest challenge at Leon was figuring out what we needed to get to where we were going. And so that's in terms okay. of putting our own oxygen mask on first, really finding the hmm. talent to help us grow figuring out you know, what are the five things that we needed to do to really take in more volume while also preserving sure. the quality of candidates we're bringing in, as well as obviously the candidate experience, given it's kind
0: of our first time really opening up for a party. Yeah, that makes good sense. Now, if we think about starting from scratch, I mean, I know you, we've had some great conversations about best practice and how the, the function's evolving, the recruiting function's evolving. When you started to think about building frameworks and uh, to scale and identifying best practices, what were your priorities? What were you trying to balance? What did that balancing act look like?
2: Obviously, like hiring 400 plus people in very little time requires efficiency. It requires standardization and kind of tight process and figuring out, like, how are we going to do that? And then I think we did do a lot of refining throughout that. Like, how do we actually do this better? Yeah. I think there's
1: an important element here, which I think hits a lot of teams staring down hypergrowth, but it's deciding what to do as much as what not to do. Mm. I think for us, you know, we had a series of initiatives to increase hiring capacity, you know, make a bunch of court hires, et cetera. But it starts with understanding like what the current team can, can handle. And so we, you know, agreed to prioritize the 80% of our roles that were most business moving, but we also mm. launched things like a self-service initiative where we sort of wrote out what core talent standards would look like for doing recruiting on the fly. If you're a hiring manager, we got you a LinkedIn seat, we got you spreadsheets, we got you talking points, etc. And by no means was the execution there flawless. But what it did leave us with was a team of hiring managers that very much appreciated the difficulty of recruiting. Sure. And so I think there's a balance in terms of being realistic about what you can do and doing it well, but also pushing others uh, to recognize and and appreciate all the work that goes in. A lot of places, I think, can sometimes fall into this mindset of like, oh, recruiting is easy. Just like go find the people. And so really giving people opportunity to taste the soup on how difficult it can be
0: was pretty critical for us. Talk about getting buy-in in partnership from the beginning. That sounds like a mixed bag. Daniel, as the leader, you're thinking about standardizing best practices I imagine a hire managers who have never been this heavily involved in recruiting before might have some less than perfect stuff. You can't manage them, right? You can't dictate too much for them. Like, how did you kind of herd those cats into line with what you guys were trying to build from a process standpoint?
2: Yeah, there was definitely some chaos and some bumps in the road, but it was just a matter of basically making sure they had the tools they needed to actually find the right people and get in the systems. and you know, move them through the process. And then we did basically kind of work with them to like, hey, these are kind of best practices that we should do. We should turn down all applicants in a proper way. Mm -hmm. And so it was just kind of making sure that we were also kind of keeping an eye on how that was going.
0: Yeah, really intriguing. One of the things that I was thinking about coming into this was, I mean, you guys are starting with a blank slate and you're bringing all the experience and expertise you've acquired in other roles to work here. One of the biggest challenges in transformation is change management, but without existing processes in place, like what obstacles remained for you? You weren't trying to change a legacy behavior. You were telling them like from the beginning, this is how we're going to do it. How was that for you?
2: As far as the change management there, I think it was a matter of basically just educating them and making sure that they knew what they needed to do. This wasn't something that they had been doing prior. And so, yeah, I don't think there was too much change management involved in kind of the self-service process. But as far as like our overall recruiting best practices and how we were going to move forward in and, and actually hiring the herd, I think there was a lot of change management involved in kind of building and informing and bringing people along in the journey.
0: Okay. I mean, Arthur, had you ever worked with hiring managers this extensively? before? Uh, It sounds like you guys were leaning on them while you were preparing to ramp up the recruiting organization. I've never heard of this. I'm really intrigued.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so I think, you know, across different environments I've been in, whether it's, you know, a hyper growth environment, like Wayfair, where we were hiring 10,000 people, or whether it was an environment that was hiring more specialized talent, like Bridgewater, where we were really looking for the one in 10,000. I think the, you know, the two key priorities for any recruiting function are supply generation and talent delivery. And whether it was Wayfair or whether it was Bridgewater, the challenge for a lot of searches is how do you deliver the talent in a way that also holds the high bar for the business? I think there's always a challenge of, you know let me take as much work off of these busy people's plates as possible. Mm -hmm. And I think inverting that conversation to, hey, saving you time by having an incomplete job description, having an incomplete search profile, having an incomplete ecosystem, having an incomplete process, just means recruiting and others will pay the tax later in terms of the Mm -hmm. time to fill going up, in terms of the quality to hire ratio going down, in terms of bad candidate experiences and all that. And so for us, really focusing on a couple of discrete initiatives within the supply side and the demand side and being clear about, you know, who's responsible for what and why we need it was pretty critical. I think, you know, a lot of recruiting, like a lot of work in general comes down to what contracts you're making and what contracts are broken and three months of the search or two weeks of the search or a longer, there's no confusion around, you know, why we're doing some certain things or not.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And again, I just think about the degree of buy-in and partnership that you guys were able to accomplish. I mean, that's holy grail stuff for a lot of recruiting organizations. All right, but now let's flash forward a little bit. So going from five to now, what are you guys at, 60 recruiters? How big is the recruiting organization? So we've got a couple of dozen recruiters. We're probably
1: weighted more so than other organizations towards also having a larger operations team. So that includes folks working on talent growth strategy. So not just employer branding, but really analyzing our metrics, analyzing our conversion uh, across different channels. We're in a place where we went from hiring, expecting to hire, I should say, 30 to 40 people a month to hiring 50 people a week. And so that kind of off to the races mentality, I think, was pretty critical, even as we brought recruiters onto the team. We wanted to hire people that were, you know, scrappy, responded to emails quickly, um, had a high sense of personal ownership. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not an environment where it's easy to pattern match to, you know, this is the playbook or this is what things look like elsewhere. And this is what it should look like. You have to have your own bar for where good is, because in the absence of having perfectly buttoned up processes, the only thing we can rely on
0: is the quality of our people. And I mean, it sounds like the expectation for the two of you, as you were building out these these teams and functions in, in recruiting, you were looking for a high caliber of talent. I imagine that that high caliber, I mean, we know recruiters, they all have their preferred way of doing things. They might walk in with, you know, some existing expectations or preferred practices. It might run counter to your vision and your efforts. So how were you evaluating? And, and I guess still, because you're still growing, how are you evaluating to make sure the people you're bringing into this operation fit? And Daniel, maybe we can start with your perspective.
2: Yeah, so I think in line with kind of what Arthur said, I think it's a matter of like, do they have the grid? Are they willing to kind of roll their sleeves up and build something from scratch and that it wasn't going to just happen for them? And so I think we needed people to kind of come in, be team players and like be willing to build this with us. And so I think that's been really the kind of the most important factor and it a team. So not
0: necessarily like a lot of recruiting experience or like coming from like big recruiting organizations or high profile. What were you looking for from a background perspective or was it sounds like mostly it was a personality or behavioral assessment?
1: Totally. This is true for our recruiting hiring as well as our broader company wide hiring. We look for values and abilities and skills, but in almost all cases, we're going to overweight on the values and ability side. You know, at the end of the day, recruiting is about, you know, understanding, understanding the people that you're recruiting, understanding the hiring manager's needs and wants, and really sort of being a conduit to reduce the confusion that naturally comes from people trying to understand your organization from outside of it. Hmm. And so for us, you know, main things we index on in recruiters are, do they bring that level of self-awareness and curiosity so that they can actually empathize? with mm. candidates, the more recruiters we interviewed that said, like, no, I know the answers, I can close anybody, I give great phone was not the qualifier. Yeah. You can teach people to, you know, have a better pitch, you can teach people to, you know, write a better email, to, or to write a better Boolean string. But it's a lot harder to teach the desire to really understand, you know, what it means to be excellent at FPA or yeah. be excellent at underwriting yeah, and so a lot of our recruiters actually come without specific subject matter expertise for the vertical okay. in which they're recruiting. And this holds true even for arguably harder to fill roles like technology. We've looked for folks that have learnability and adaptability over folks yeah. that you know have pedigree and prior networks or whatever, because networks will go stale, but you know the muscle to find people and bring them into the process is most critical.
0: Sure. I mean, like even then, though, Arthur, like I'm with you. I can agree with all of that operationalizing a hiring organization that that actually can do that very, very difficult. I mean, that is not how most recruiting works. Daniel, can you maybe talk about taking Arthur's clear passion for this and strong opinions on what good looks like and think about how do we build out assessment practices? How are we looking for this? What kind of EVP are we trying to evoke? What's the brand message, et cetera?
2: So we're currently in the process of building out what that big, beautiful thing is. I'd say what we did that was largely successful as far as scaling is we did come up with kind of a tight framework of how to actually assess people and basically like a very clear scoring mechanism that actually translated to making those decisions. And so we are trying to actually get better at turning the wheel and figuring out like what can we do to actually predict success in the role. Yeah, and so we are in the process of kind of evaluating a number of different vendors there to kind of figure out what
0: clicks the best. Yeah, that makes good sense. I wonder if part of that also is train managers to give good feedback and and to actually think about what fit is and codify that instead of just, you know, dispositioning somebody because they don't fit. Like you are looking for somebody specific. They need to have a framework to evaluate those things, those qualities, right?
1: Totally. Yeah, I think to put a little bit of an edge on what Dan had shared, we're definitely always evolving and testing our hypotheses. We tend to look at a lot of our assessment processes as taking bets because hmm. you're never really going to have 100 percent confidence. in you know, hmm. this person is this way and will perform this way into the role. And so the biggest you know challenge early on was changing the methodology and the mindset of hiring managers on that. Early on when we were scaling our blitz processes in particular for our, you know, fast growing sales and operations teams, we were explicit about creating a one to ten framework for folks that translated to, you know, seven being the line for hiring. Mm-hmm. And based on your data point alone, anything below that line was degrees to which you had questions about that individual. So if you were a five, you probably had two questions or more that would preclude mm-hmm. the hire. If you were an eight or nine, you had additional data points post hire that would fight against someone else's negatives. I'm always wary of creating quantitative renderings of qualitative sentiments. But for us, it actually enabled us to have a pretty easy discourse because when we would show up into the debrief, you know, Dan and the team would be able to pull up the spreadsheet and quickly go through the numbers. And it was a way to streamline the conversation around quality by having proxies and consistent mental model. Yeah, you know, there's no amount of vendors that are reaching out selling, you know, the holy grail of like, take this test, and it'll tell you this person's great. And for us, you know, we basically for the entire time I've been here, like testing and learning with different vendors, taking different analyses of what makes our people successful, because there's never one thing. Yeah. And so for us, it's really just kind of driving that discipline that the feedback has to look a certain way, you know, don't say dumb things, yeah. you know, avoid making, you know, judgments on the basis of resume or background, yeah. or, you know, visage alone. And I think, you know, the, the harder thing has been empowering recruiters to be able to push back on that from both a process and people point of view. And so how do you enforce the accountability around folks inputting feedback? How do you enforce the accountability around, you know, double checking quality of those core talent standards? And so yeah. for us, you know, we're, we're not about trying to find necessarily the consultants to tell us what everyone else is doing. It's more about, you know, creating an environment where we can pilot and figure out what works for us.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, this is a perfect segue. We're talking about like now we're talking about building the better mousetrap. And I mean, I'm a little envious, not of the 12 and 13 hour days you guys are pulling, but of the opportunity to build something to like take your vision of what great looks like and, and actually build it. But it's not something that one person can do. And and one thing that's been really interesting to me as I've I've been studying this market of talent in HR for 10 years to see the operations function really rise up out of like program administration and policy policing, and really become the executing arm of the TA strategy, I'm curious to how the two of you partner. And I'll give you a couple of some parameters to think about, like partnering to set priorities or to validate vision, align vision for recruiting with HR or with revenue, project management, program management, agreeing to disagree. How do you guys find you partner best?
2: Dan, you want to take it away?
0: Yeah, and see if you guys agree.
2: (laughs) Yeah, so I think it's super helpful to have somebody that has the vision that Arthur has for the TA organization at Better. And really, I use that kind of as my true north. I'm obviously going to come at things with like a little bit more of a process and detailed and technical standpoint. But it's super helpful to then tie that back to the ultimate vision of like what we're trying to achieve and why. And I think it's that balance and that push and pull that ultimately kind of makes this relationship super successful.
1: Dan loves abstract metaphorical renderings of uh, minute tactical operational problems. (laughs)
0: I mean, he came to the right place. But let me probe (laughs) this a little further, though. So I've, I've spoken to like three dozen talent operations folks in like the research I've been doing for this rise of talent operations. And one of the things that came up all the time was that the most critical aspect of what makes somebody successful in their role is the talent leader that they work with. So Dan, when you were evaluating this opportunity, what were you looking for? And what did you find with Arthur right out of the gate?
2: Funny question And that Arthur and I had worked together in our earlier days of our careers.
0: Oh, cool. Where?
2: Back in Bridgewater. Okay. And so, you know, we had some wild rides back then. So <laughs> I already knew that it was going to be a wild ride to come. And so I think that was a little bit of it. And then I think there was a little bit of, you know, I know that Arthur is a strategic thinker. I know that he truly cares about and values his people. And I know that he is only going to go towards something if it's something great and exciting. So I kind of had a lot of confidence in, you know, Arthur's belief in better.com and Arthur's belief in me kind of coming in to actually build something beautiful. And so I think it was like a lot of the combination of those things that really led to me feeling like this was an awesome opportunity.
0: Yeah, nice. Arthur, what's your take when you were looking for that operations lead? What were some qualities that you knew you needed? Yeah, I think it's a hard challenge to build the plane while flying it, or whatever metaphor
1: you want to choose. And I think you know the challenge of a lot of folks is that they presume, you know, even if you're talking to a vendor, that you know what they're selling is what you're buying rather than having the orientation to really chisel and get what is right for the problems that you're uniquely trying to solve. And so, you know, I remember, you know, at Bridgewater, a lot of the work we had done was around scaling up our uh, differentiated campus hiring program, and then consistently finding clever ways to um, figure out some way to create a magical new spreadsheet or, you know, create new materials to enforce all of the various frameworks we're applying to all these unsuspecting college (laughs) students. A magical new spreadsheet. I, that- <laughs> yeah. I think that was the operating name, actually. It was, it was a magic spreadsheet. <laughs> was it really? Uh, yeah. Um, there's, <laughs> there's a lot of inputs you going on. You guys are it. losers. Yeah. 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 <laughs> totally. Yeah. But I think it's hard to find people, you know, that have mm-hmm. that left brain orientation to like, you know, check boxes, get things done, move things forward, but are also like flexible and willingness to question why things are the way they are. And so that yeah. was actually the biggest indicator for me. Yeah. I think the second element is actually having, you know, a real customer experience, hospitality first mentality. Because I think when you think about areas of industry that have really gotten operations, right, like hospitality is a good metaphor, like, you know, when you're staying at a motel six versus a four seasons, sure, uh, not because you know, things are fancier, even though they are, because it's all the little things. So what's the tone of the emails, they realize you come in late. So there's, you know, a toothbrush that's already pasted and at the ready. And it's an eye for the detail, but it's also an eye for the follow through. Yeah, And I think Dan's prior experience, like even working at Apple and really helping people through figuring out how to unlock their iPad, I think to me had all the character of someone that could both figure out like all the things that need to get done, but how do we do them in a way that's delightful, that's memorable, I and mean, that's better than
0: what people would have expected. Dan, you're not blushing nearly enough. It's like you mm-hmm. expect these high praises. You're just like, yeah, that's right. Yes. Yes. That's me. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Too generous.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, too generous. So let's talk about a program in particular, something that the two of you, like uh, you talked about North Star earlier, Dan, Candid Experience. I know that this is something that you guys really invest a lot of time and effort and energy into. And it's something that you've cultivated in your hiring culture, which is phenomenal, but it's also something that your CEO is directly supportive of. What kind of pressure does that create and how do you ensure that you're delivering?
2: So I'd say it definitely creates pressure, but it's kind of an exciting pressure. I think one of the amazing parts of like what we're doing for America and for the homeownership kind of industry is really trying to provide that Apple level, like top-tier customer experience. And so I think like having that even as a true north for like what we should be delivering to our candidates mm-hmm. and kind of also turning our candidates into promoters and potential future customers is like actually a really motivating kind of goal to march towards cool so i I think it's exciting though although intimidating and i think like a really cool kind of innovative thing to do in the recruiting industry
0: yeah are there any
1: perspective there yeah, totally. I mean, um, I think what really sold me on a lot of the work here at Better is that at the end of the day, you know, it's a business that's powered by human capital. I think you've seen this with a lot of tech companies like Uber or WeWork, et cetera, where like, we're, we're tech companies, we're tech companies, and eventually we'll have self-driving cars. And in our case, we're not looking for self-driving cars. We're looking for really great drivers that want to take charge of the customer experience and bring them through complicated, deeply personal transaction. And so that's the same approach that we've taken to recruiting, which is let's automate all the stuff that bogs you down, that keeps you from being effective and keeps you from having personal conversations. And so really sort of understanding that vision as a business first and foremost, and then translating that vision into recruiting has been particularly exciting. I think in a lot of orgs, you see this mentality of recruiting serving as sort of a glorified procurement function. Of, sure. Look, I need to you know get the thing at the cheapest price. Just go get me a thing that looks like this rather than having recruiters, talent operations folks that are really making a market. So if you think about, you know, talent liquidity, and then really working with hiring managers, then the question shouldn't be, who can you find for this role? It's who's the best person? How does this person compare to the team that we have on the ground? How does this incremental hire change the dynamic and composition of the team? Those yeah. are the conversations that an excellent talent operations function will enable for us to have. Because I think in a lot of ways, otherwise you get bogged down by like too many wrecks to fill. You're constantly, you know, sure. chasing some target
0: that someone set that's far off.
1: Yeah, I think for us, the goal is to not only catch the targets, but to really raise the bar over time.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, it's clear that that is where you guys are headed, honestly, really impressed. But also something that I, I would like to talk about a little further is twice now in this conversation you brought up, the notion that some of these roles move the business more than others. And I think that when we talk about recruiting, being a business partner, a business driver, that's usually what's missing. We still treat all recs the same at a KPI level. We're looking at time to fill and cost per hire in aggregate. We're not really spending time to say this is the most important rec on your plate right now go for that one and let the others fall behind. How do you guys codify what moves the business?
1: So I think talent ROI is like a difficult concept. You know, there's been lots of folks like Maya at Greenhouse that have done great work of defining the sort of candidate or employee lifetime value. We've done our own analyses, you know, but it looks different for product design or engineering than it does for, you know, sales and operations for sales and operations candidly a bit easier. You know, we have growth targets for the business. There's revenue associated with each person we bring in. That's a function of time to value our ability to find the right people. And then we can sort of matrix out, you know, where people fall within that. And so that's how I want our recruiters to believe Is like, oh, you're not just hiring 10 people, you're adding, you know, a million dollars of top line, you know, month over month. And so it's a matter of being transparent with those numbers and understanding them. And then for, you know, some of the more nuancy things of like, oh, what's this incremental engineer do? What does this product manager do? We do look at different productivity drivers, like increasing our rate of automation, increasing our conversion across our customer portfolio. So whether that person's on marketing, whether that person's on design, creating a simpler interface could demonstrably transform, you know, what our customers experience. And so in a lot of these cases, you know, it's a matter of you're never going to have like the timeless and immemorial ratios, but you need to be explicit on the trades that you're making.
0: Hmm. Yeah, but I mean, if we come back to the beginning of the conversation, you guys starting by leaning really heavily on your hiring managers and then seeing from the beginning what you were trying to do, I think getting that buy-in probably helps. Dan, if I think about reporting, though, how does prioritizing one rec over the other affect your KPIs and, and metrics? If, if you guys are trying to to prove out what's working, what's not, you know, like report on recruiter performance, how do you account for some of these really nuanced and like complex things?
2: Yeah. And so I think like the most direct translation, which we kind of went into earlier is like the, a lot of the roles that were going on self-service weren't those roles that actually directly translate to, you know, basically more dollars for the business.
0: Okay. so
2: that's kind of where we were prioritizing and focusing.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. So you were leaving that like, all right, if this is like for the self-service, those were for the ones that were non-critical.
1: I wouldn't say non-critical. I think they were still pretty critical. It was actually the roles that we could handle or couldn't handle internally. And so it's both a function of supply and delivery. And so in our case, you know, we had limited resources to deliver, but we actually had a lot of supply. And so we were working through bringing, recruiting is a two sided problem, like anything else, like you need to, you know, be, be mindful that sometimes you can, you know, fulfill a service, like getting a bunch of candidates to the door, but maybe you can't coordinate all the interviews, maybe you can't actually handle all the offer conversations or whatnot. And so for us, it was just a matter of figuring out, again, like what we could do and what we couldn't do. I think priority sometimes can be a dirty word and hmm. a little bit misleading. I think you know there's different levels of service and different levels of support that you can give and not being afraid to question that so that recruiting has to be you know, this end-to-end thing. Sometimes recruiting can be like, oh, okay, we'll do a list build for you, help you get calibrated, and then send you on your merry way to have a couple of conversations. And when you know what you want, come back to us.
0: Yeah. I mean, that sounds pretty cool. It requires an immense amount of trust, but it seems like... That's where you guys started and that's what you continue to build on. All right. Final question. What else do you guys want to accomplish this year and how are you going to do it?
2: So much. (laughs) (laughs) I think we're continuing to try and figure out, you know, from an operations perspective, like what is our tech stack of the future? Mm -hmm. Really like what's going to help us scale to say potentially a 5,000 person company, Mm 10,000 person company and kind of figuring out what the best matches? We're also continuing to really prioritize that candidate experience. And so hopefully by the end of this year, we're actually aware of all of the areas that we could do better and kind of coming up with new cool initiatives that other people aren't maybe thinking of on how we can actually make that excellent experience.
0: Yeah, yeah. Can deliver. Nice little tease there. I'm going to have to come back and find out how far you get. I mean, I know that the market itself is really fragmented but I find a lot of vendors are selling to how things have been and they're like trying to pull people to today. You're probably challenging vendors to go much further. And so it's finding not somebody that can have an out of the box offering for you, but can actually build in partnership. It's a a tall order, but pretty interesting.
2: Definitely. I'm probably not at the top of vendors most delightful to work with list because I think we can be pretty demanding. But I think that, you know, with the right vendors, it's been actually a really magical partnership and that I cool. think we've been able to actually help them grow, help them develop yeah. their product along with
0: us. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, and Arthur, are you guys sitting in the same room to push the, the vendors forward? Is, is Daniel the, the bad cop? You're the good cop? How's that, that dynamic work? I think it depends on the show. (laughs) I think, uh, (laughs) you know, ultimately, like we want to find vendors, as Dan said, that
1: want to work with us. I think, you know, in the same way, not everyone's going to want to be in an environment that pushes and challenges them. Not not all vendors want clients that want that. And so that's a core part Mm -hmm. of our criterion is, you know, finding folks that are pretty transparent about like, hey, we're not good at this, but we want to get better. This is where we are. This is why we're going to discount it, why we're going to, you know, trial it with you, whatever it is. And I think, you know, for us, what works best is not vendors that just take, you know, directions from a tourist, but vendors that also have a point of view about where things are going. And so for us, you know, that's been the most fun part of it is whether, you know, Dan's a bad cop or I'm the bad cop. It's like, you know, we just want to be with people that want to do cool things that haven't been done before. And so that's been the most exciting part of this journey is like finding that uh, group of people. And yeah, we've like cycled through different vendors that haven't been down a ride. But ultimately, I think that's where excellent comes from is, you know, excellent. being willing
0: to question things and being willing to evolve. Yeah, I mean, we, we talk about what like the new normal in a COVID context. I think that you guys are really pushing for a better normal. And I think you do represent a new generation of buyers and TA leaders that I think a lot of vendors are gonna need to wise up to. Well, cool. This was phenomenal. I feel like we rushed through so much, but I appreciate your time and your wisdom and expertise. I wish you guys the best of luck. You got a lot of shit to get done, but I think you're going to get there.
1: Awesome. Thank you, Kyle. Really appreciate all the support and thank you for taking the time with us. Have a great weekend.
0: Likewise. Thank you. Bye. Lordy, lordy, that was an intense 30 minutes and we barely skimmed the surface of what these guys are working on. I think we'll have to check back in with him later this year. Arthur, Dan, thanks for taking the time to share your vision and your experience. You guys are on fire. For the rest of you, thanks for tuning in to this episode of Talent Operations Anonymous. If you're interested in being a part of the show, you can catch me on Twitter at Kyle Lagunas. Hit me up. Bye. I love you. Bye.